We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, your host and president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you in part by Celgene, Azi, and Genentech, we'll be talking about the impact childhood cancer has on siblings and what we as a community can do to support these brothers and sisters. With the number, uh, numbers of children diagnosed with cancer on the rise in the U.S., it's important to not only address the medical and psychosocial needs of the child, but also the impact on their family as well. So on our show today, we'll talk about the effect a cancer diagnosis has on a child's family, specifically on siblings. We've got three great guests who have all experienced this firsthand from different perspectives. So just a, a little bit of background before we jump into the conversation. According to the National Cancer Institute, in 2007, over 10,000 children under the age of 15 were diagnosed with cancer, making it the leading cause of death by disease among children between the ages of 1 and 14. While the focus of a family turns to the child diagnosed, the needs of brothers and sisters are also important, as we've learned through our work at the Cancer Support Community. We know that cancer affects the entire family, circle of friends, uh, and the greater community. We also know that the experience of a pediatric cancer diagnosis can have lifelong, lasting effects. So today we're talking to three individuals who have experienced the effect cancer has on siblings, and we'll learn about the impact, and we'll learn what we as a community can do to support them. First, we have Melanie Goldish, the founder of Super Sibs, a nonprofit organization dedicating to ensuring that siblings of children with cancer are honored, supported, and recognized. They provide free ongoing services to brothers and sisters of children with cancer to help them manage through what is undoubtedly a challenging life experience. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks, Kim. Thank you so much. And we're also here with Deborah Bond Burke, a senior social worker and coordinator of the Siblings Program in the Division of Pediatric Psychosocial Oncology at Dana Farber Children's Hospital Cancer Center. Hi, Deborah. Hello. And finally, we have Michelle Odie, a registered nurse who has lived the experience of being a sibling of a child diagnosed with cancer firsthand. Michelle, it's great to have you. Thank you. So we've got a lot of cover, uh, to cover on the show today, so we're going to jump right in. So first, Melanie, um, l- let's give our listeners an overview of the issues 
siblings of children with cancer face? And, and maybe, Melanie, you can just give us some statistics to start out so we can understand some of the numbers. Sure. Well, as you said at the beginning, Kim, there is uh, such a profound impact and, and lots of care and attention that deservedly goes towards the child with cancer. But when you think about right now, pediatric cancer affects about 270,000 children in just the United States alone. That means that about double that, a little, little less than double that, 400 or so thousand, 400,000 siblings, brothers and sisters of children with cancer are also profoundly impacted. And we think of these siblings as the shadow survivors. It's really uh, important, and including what I'd love to make sure we point out is that the President's Cancer Panel even made a statement in their report that said that the siblings of children with cancer have longer-term psychosocial needs that aren't even being met. It's a profound need that most people don't recognize. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm glad we're talking about it today. Um, Deborah, t- tell us, what does the research uh, indicate about the emotional effect on a sibling whose brother or sister has been diagnosed? What do we really know about what the impact of that situation is? What we really know if we look at the review of several studies is that, as with most things in life, there are two different categories. There are the negative findings, which are PTSD kind of symptoms, shock, fear, worry, sadness, and school difficulties within about two years after diagnosis. Mm -hmm. The other side of that, however, is that some of these siblings experience positive changes in terms of maturity, empathy, and uh, my own experience working with the siblings, even career choices, um, wanting to go into medicine, uh, nursing, um, you know, healthcare kind of fields. Um, just today, uh, we're having our sibling week, and we had a young man say that he's going to find a cure for cancer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's really inspirational. Yeah. Uh, really inspirational. Um, Melanie, can you add to that, the, the, you know, the effects um, uh, on these siblings as, as someone who works with children who are experiencing this on a regular basis? Sure. And like Deborah said, it's really um, a whole continuum of impact on these brothers and sisters. And it's also age-related that um, for younger children, they tend to, um, as they call it, externalize. So um, for, for younger children, on the negative side, they may be acting out or biting or regressing a little bit, like bedwetting or fighting um, as their way of expression um, without necessarily the tools to be able to really cope and manage. And older children and teens tend to, um, as the research shows, um, kind of internalize, keep inside many of their feelings or challenges that they're, that they're um, experiencing. So it's really a far more profound uh, impact than so many people realize. In fact, there's a study by, um, that was done by Ann Lown, Professor Ann Lown in San Francisco, that found that siblings of children with cancer were significantly more likely to be heavy and risky drinkers compared to survivors and also their peers. I mean, we don't even think about that. Mm. As well as, you know, there's, here's the most important thing, I guess. One of the research studies shows that even though there's so much of a potential negative impact, that yes. if these siblings are supported, we can help them experience resilience and growth, or even as they call it, post-traumatic growth, instead of the post-traumatic stress that um, Deborah was even indicating before. So that's really key, that we can redefine the experience for these siblings. 
And so, so how, so, so Melanie, you, you, you are, are obviously deeply rooted in this issue, and, and I know sometimes we call these kids sibling survivors or refer to this as sibling survivorship. So how did you become aware of this issue and engaged in this? First hand, um, it was 13 years ago when my son, who was at the time five years old, my oldest son, was diagnosed with cancer, needed a bone marrow transplant to survive, and thankfully I'll fast forward and say that there was one person in the world who was a match for him, and he's now about to enter college next year. So it was a fabulous um, outcome for him, but I have to say what we realized at the time was that my son, who was then four years old, my younger son, was struggling and and really looked like walking wounded. And I started to see, you know, these siblings are all having this sort of look in their eyes of uh, whether it's fear or um, a real winsome look or or a sense of uh, abandonment or confusion or anger. And as I asked the psychosocial professionals, what do we do for siblings? At that time in 1998, you know, everybody looked at me with a big question mark practically on their face. So it was one of those occasions where after I learned the research and the profound impact that that is not being addressed in a focused, evidence-based way, um, you know, I jumped off the corporate cliff, left my corporate role, and uh, founded Super Sibs, and we're now serving over 25,000 brothers and sisters of children with cancer across the U.S. and Canada. So it's really from the heart, but with full professional resources. Wow, that's really, really unbelievable and very very inspiring. Um, Deborah, let, let's go back to uh, the main issues that children with a sibling with cancer face. What are their biggest challenges? What are you know, some of the reactions? What are some of the myths and the, that they hold about cancer? Can we talk about that for a few minutes? Sure. I think the first thing would be distress at the point of diagnosis that the siblings mm-hmm. experience, which obviously is shared within the family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that right away they're extremely frightened and worried. Yeah. Um, to quote one of the siblings, um, she said, you know, I was worried because I saw my mom and dad crying when I got home from school. Mm-hmm. And if you think about, you know, how frightened uh, parents and caregivers are at this moment and what it's like to be a child in this family, you, you can only imagine how things are really it's the rug is really pulled out from under them, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning. I think the issue about the change that the siblings experience at home is very, very significant. Literally, the fabric of their lives shifts. Um, you know, they're on uneven footing. They don't exactly know who's going to be where at what time. They don't really understand what's happening. And I think that they're very worried for their parents, for the sibling, and also worried about themselves. Mm-hmm. and how they're going to fare and who's going to take care of them and, um, you know, you know, how, how, you know, who's picking them up after school? Um, is anybody yeah. going to help them get the dress for the prom? You know, are those things right. now insignificant um, given the larger scope of things? The larger scope. Deborah, we've just got a minute or so till the break, but do, do kids, um, do kids some, sometimes kids blame themselves? Do they think that they did something to cause this, that they were fighting with their brother and sister or that they somehow had a, you know, had a role in this, or is there some, some blame that goes on or misunderstanding about that? There could be. Uh, you know, I think speaking for those of us that work with the siblings and the parents, it's one of the first things we discuss, mm-hmm. which is be sure you communicate to the siblings. And to the siblings themselves, we say this is nothing 
that you did. We don't know why this happened. It's not because you didn't eat your vegetables, zip your coat. It's not because you were mad because your brother took something that you were going to play with. Um, so whether those fears and concerns are there, and I'm sure they are, I think it's one of the first things that we address so that it doesn't linger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, uh, Melanie, what are some of the early, you know, kind of early issues that you guys are seeing or addressing when the child is diagnosed to say, hey, you know, listen up, guys, this is, you know, the, the, we know that you're so focused on this child with cancer. Um, but just quickly before we go to the break, what are, what are some of the top-line things that you tell folks that they need to address with the siblings? Well, definitely, as Deborah said, that feeling of guilt. We've heard siblings um, who have said things like, I told my sister I hate her, and then she was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Or I guess I don't think I was praying hard enough. Or um, I pushed my brother down. We heard this one, and he ended up with a tumor that was you know, around his abdomen. So definitely, uh, these siblings that Deborah talked about, they're so fortunate that they are being supported to discuss this right away. But this is something that parents and professionals can be addressing with siblings. The whole um, social impact of siblings, we've had siblings tell us that um, their friends pretty much say, you know, get over it. This has been going on long enough. You know, you just have to go on with your life. And so many siblings lose what friendship or social support they have because their, their friends don't know how to address them. And then just think of the constant anxiety of the unknown that these brothers and sisters need to go through every day and not know how is this going to impact my relationship with my family. Am I important? Did I do something wrong? What can I do to control this? And how can I go on with my life? So a lot of siblings, you know, pretty much are walking on eggshells, and we can really help them find their strength and grounding as long as we're supporting siblings through this journey. So a lot of, uh, so, so, so oftentimes a lot of guilt about, oh, well, how can I even care about this or worry about this when my mm-hmm. brother or sister has cancer? Mm-hmm. Right. It's sort of a double whammy that um, yeah. many siblings, and this isn't all, but may sort of feel badly and then flog themselves for feeling badly because they're not the ones with cancer. So we can right. help them through this. Right, right. Well, this is, this is uh, I think, a great start to our uh, conversation. We're talking today about uh, the impact on a child when his or her brother or sister uh, is diagnosed with cancer. We obviously know that, that uh, when a child is diagnosed with cancer, it's devastating for the family. Uh, but we're focused today on the siblings and what their needs are and how we can meet those needs as a community. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community 
a global network of education and hope. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Today we're talking to Melanie Goldish, founder of SuperSIDS, Deborah Burke, a senior social worker at the Dana-Farber Cancer Children's Hospital Cancer Center, and Michelle Odie, a registered nurse who's lived the sibling survivorship experience firsthand. Uh, we've heard from Melanie and Deborah, who gave a great overview of the, the growing issues of siblings of children with cancer. We've had a powerful discussion about the effects on siblings and what their experience is like, including some of the hardest challenges they face, the, uh, the guilt, the myths, the misunderstanding, and we're talking about how to address these issues. I want to bring Michelle into the conversation. Uh, Michelle has had firsthand experience uh, of the children we're talking about on the show. I think it's important to gain insight into what it's really like to go through this experience of having a sibling with cancer. Um, Michelle, can you tell us about your story, what your experience was with a sibling with cancer? Yes. Uh, You have to understand that everybody's story is different. Um, There are really two main paths that our stories usually take. Either we're born into a family that has already had a child diagnosed with cancer or um, we learn later on. So what happened with us, my family, is I happened to be born after my brother had already been diagnosed and experienced many treatments. Therefore, cancer, hospitals, medicine was my life from the very beginning. As a young child, I thought this was normal for all families. I didn't think anything was strange at all. Um, I actually felt like the luckiest person because all the attention was on my family. We had so many parties thrown for us. Our neighborhood would give us welcome home parties when we come back from the hospital. Um, I would get excited when we went to the hospital because it meant that I knew my family would be together every moment. My brother and me and my mom, we would have so much time together. Um, how, old was, how old was your brother when you were born? He was seven. He's seven, seven years older than me. Okay, okay. Um, he was absolutely the most important thing to me. My whole ro- world revolved around him. Um, we were so close that any time he was in the hospital, my mom made sure I was there. More than probably 90% of my childhood, I spent either sleeping with um, my brother in his hospital bed or in a chair next to him. Mm. Um, he always called me his favorite little nurse. Mm. So where he went, I did. It wasn't until I went to grade school that I began to notice that our family was really different, that not all families lived in hospitals and were dealing with sickness and, and all that. However, I will tell you that I still preferred my life back then in the hospital with my brothers into, quote, unquote, the normal life. See, it was normal to us, and we were surrounded by people and families who understood us. Whenever we were not in the hospital, Everybody didn't really know how to act around us. They didn't know what to say to us. 
always outside of our, I guess you could say, a cancer bubble was incomplete and almost petty. Right, um, right. When I was 13, my brother passed away. Um, I went from being my brother's favorite little nurse to just a plain teenager. Mm. So you can see my whole world turned upside down. Yeah, yeah. So what? So, so tell me first about that kind of shift when you first started to go into elementary school and you realized that your life was it was different than the lives of uh, you know of most kids. What? How, how did you? How did you handle that? How did you cope with that? You know, what was that? What was that like for you? Um, it was it was hard because you know you want to rely on your peers, you want to have friends, but it's just it's really hard when you just can't relate to them. Everything that they seem as important to them, their boyfriends, things like that, just didn't seem that important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of things that helped me through this time were the nurses in the hospital. Um, the attention that they paid to me was just amazing. Any time that my mom needed to talk with a doctor or she just needed to spend a little extra time with my brother, they would carry me around, take me to the nurse's station, maybe take me to the playroom, and we would draw pictures or anything like that. So I really felt special with them. Um, And I think that, you know, faith was a really big part for our journey. Um, When we were so tired and didn't know what to do, we knew that we had such a great support system with um, outside family members and friends that we knew if we weren't praying, we knew somebody else was praying for us. Yeah, yeah. And and any other any other things that helped your family through the experience besides that 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 the network that you talk about and the faith? I mean, was your did your family participate in any special programs or support groups or anything in the hospital, anything like that? Um, no, we really didn't. Um, I wish that there would have been. Um, some something more like I wish I would have known about super sieves or something like that um, to help us through, but we didn't know about that then. So we were really all on all by ourselves. And you know, my mom was just such a great um, help in keeping mm-hmm. us together as a unit, as much as you can in this situation. Right. And how did you guys deal with the situation when your brother died, and deal with that that uh, the, the loss and the impact of that? Um, well. It was, it was very difficult. My mom did not deal with it very well. So in a way, I turned from being my brother's favorite nurse to try and take care of my mom. Yeah. So um, even though it, didn't, it doesn't sound great, but it was almost in an, in an effect because it gave me a reason. It gave me something to help with, help her try and get over everything. And um, it was, I mean, it was very, very difficult. I tried to become a normal teenager then because I was right in the transition from middle school to high school. So, you know, I was trying to go to parties. I was trying to hang out with friends, and it just didn't, I just couldn't find a good fit. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Kim, when I first met Michelle, it just struck me that, you know, she was there, she was able to articulate so clearly that having spent so much time around adults and more, you know, mature individuals, and we've heard this from so many other siblings as well, that it's so difficult for these brothers and sisters to find someone who can really understand not just once or twice or for a month, you know, I'm sorry what your family's going through. Sure. But but the journey that goes on for years, for years and how right. it continues to impact the siblings socially. 
So, so tell me, so Melanie, tell me a little bit about, um, I'm curious, I'm sure our listeners are too, about, you know, how do you talk to, how, how do you make this conversation age-appropriate, and how do you provide age-appropriate support? So, you know, we heard a little bit from, from Michelle about, you know, dealing with this when she was five, and then, you know, dealing with this loss at 13, and, and so, you know, how do you approach this with a, a kid who's five versus a, you know, versus a, a teenager, because their level of understanding and their, their, their um, needs seem to be so different? Well, boy, uh, so first and foremost, I think there's a couple most important themes, and that is uh, be honest mm-hmm. and be age-appropriate. So, in other words, for the youngest children, to be able to use words like um, your brother or sister's blood is sick or um, that that we have the best possible care that's at the hospital that's making sure that your sister is is having the best chance to be healthy going forward. So real uh, kind of basic, factual information so that they can take it in in short bites. Because, you know, I, I've got to tell you, many families that we've heard from over the years, I just cringe when they say we don't use the C word. Mm-hmm. And what I think is real important is that to say it's called cancer because right. the brothers and sisters, they hear this in school. Right. Or someone will say, you know, my aunt had cancer and start to go on their story. Or right. So when, when parents think, you know, I'm keeping them shielded or a teacher or a, well, psychosocial professionals know better, but right. when people think they're shielding a young child from this, right. it's really unfortunate because the child is potentially making up something even far worse or certainly right. without the facts. One other point is to make sure that siblings are that that siblings are being listened to and that they have the uh, opportunity to ask questions. And again, this is on an ongoing basis. We as adults have to ask over and over again, what did that mean? What were the counts again? What could happen next? So it's really important for brothers and sisters to have this chance on an ongoing basis as they mature. So starting as a, as a young child and yeah. then certainly um, if as teenagers, you know, these kids become, as, as Michelle mentioned, many times the third parent or, um, or caregiver. Yeah. So it's very important for them to be informed on an ongoing basis with the facts, with the truth, with understanding and with support at the ready so that we're we're all listening to what the siblings have to say so that we can help them heal too. And uh, Deborah, and what do you say to the child if they ask, could my sibling die? It's a very difficult question and it's yeah. one that's often asked and yeah. you yeah. know to me the answer is the doctors and nurses are going to do everything that they can to mm-hmm. be sure that that doesn't happen. But we can't make promises that, unfortunately, we can't keep. So from my point of view, the best thing to do is to just say, you know, we are doing everything we possibly can. Right. Um, And, you know, we we hope that things really get better and that your brother or sister is fine. But it's very, very important to never make a promise that you can't keep. Mm. And I think it's one of the things that's hardest for the siblings is the constant uncertainty. You know, things look one way. You know, uh, you you have a child coming in with what looks to be a highly curable cancer and something shifts suddenly and everything becomes different overnight. And, uh, you know, it's that that's so hard for the sibling, but also for that reason, very important to not promise anything. Right, right, Um, right. And I I also think with the school age, if I can just add that, I think one of the other issues for them is that 
their peers um, can be very frightened. You know, they can feel mm-hmm. that you can catch cancer. Yeah. Um, they cannot want to play with, you know, the sibling anymore because, oh, you know, yeah. what's happening in their family is strange and odd. Mm-hmm. And so one of the main things, which I know we're going to talk about later, is also working with the people in the school yes. to help them figure out how to talk to the sibling and the classmates. Yes. Melanie, just quickly before we go to the break, um, tell me about uh, tell me about your experience and observation on the impact on on, on teenagers. I know that uh, the tweens and teens. I know that uh, when everything even goes smoothly, that can be such a difficult and uh, you know fragile time, and they're just in such an interesting developmental stage. And and I imagine that uh, a diagnosis of cancer in the family could could potentially be particularly difficult for for a teenager. Well, you know, again, everything is kind of a continuum. So for many teens, teens, their life goes from trying to focus on school and um, their social lives and deciding on college and so on to taking over all the household chores or the driving of their brothers or sisters, or they may be the ones that provide sort of the respite care at the hospital while the parents take a break. So so that can be a profound impact. It's a whole shift in their role in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for us to be able to recognize that, to say, how can we help alleviate some of that from the teens? Mm-hmm. The other thing is that um, teens can be encouraged to express themselves through writing and journaling, um, that that it's so important for us to validate for teenagers, uh, well, for all ages, but um, that that what you're experiencing is a normal reaction, and it's important for you to be able to express that. Many teenagers say, I had no one to talk to. There was, I, I didn't want to make waves. I didn't want to cause more pain by letting people know that I was hurting too. And it's very important for teenagers to be able to reach out to their school counselor or to the child life specialist or social worker at the hospital or a trusted adult, possibly their parent, or maybe even their best friend. So it's really important to encourage them to be able to communicate since otherwise many teens feel just so isolated and sort of locked up and I really can't even express myself. And frankly, another option that's really important is to let teenagers know that everyone, and young children too, deserves the right to be heard and to be supported by a professional. So Mm -hmm. to see a therapist can be very beneficial for siblings. That's great. I think that's great advice. Um, we're talking on the show today about uh, the impact on, on the family, particularly the impact on uh, siblings when a child in the family is uh, diagnosed with cancer. So, so many issues that reverberate throughout the family. We're talking about, uh, you know, how, how to provide age-appropriate communication, age-appropriate support, how to get these siblings connected with resources at the hospital, resources in their community, resources in the schools, national resources like Super Sibs. Um, we're having a, uh, a great conversation today about this issue. Um, we're just going to take a quick break here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to be right back to continue this uh, conversation. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. 
For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, which is brought to you in part today by Morphotech Amgen and Millennium. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and we're here with Michelle Odie, a registered nurse and a sibling who lost her brother to childhood cancer. Deborah Burke, a senior, senior social worker in the Division of Pediatric Psychosocial Oncology at the Dana-Farber Institute, and Melanie Goldish, founder of SuperSIDS, um, which is an organization we're going to talk a little bit more about just shortly. Um, we've been talking about kids with uh, siblings who've been diagnosed with childhood cancer and what their life experience is. We've heard about the, uh, the challenges they face in their lifelong journey through sibling survivorship. We uh, just heard from Michelle Odie, who lost her brother at a young age to cancer and, and uh, gave us an insightful first-hand account of, of really what it's like to be a sibling of a child with cancer. Um, I want to hear a little bit more from you, um, uh, Deborah, from your social work uh, experience um, in, in working with these siblings. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing from your perspective at the hospital, um, you know, at the clinic uh, of these siblings, how they're impacted, even, you know, when, when, uh, when these children are, are diagnosed um, and these, uh, you know, and we know that there are siblings involved, how, how, is that, how is that fact even identified and how do we even start to get these kids connected to some resources? One of the first things that we do when we meet with a family is ask about other children in the family. And often we find that the parents are almost immediately aware and concerned about their other children and yeah. are looking for guidance and support. You, you, you know, these are, these are parents who are in the midst of a tremendous life crisis, and they fully, fully and immediately understand that the other children in the family are going to be affected. Um, you know, I, you know, you see parents juggling things. You know, you see them, you know, sort of passing off different shifts with family or friends or, you know, supports in the network. You see them struggling to make sure that the siblings aren't forgotten. Yeah. And information that we can give them on how to talk to the siblings and resources and help 
alleviates a lot of the parental anxiety, which is really important, and it's also one of the things that makes the work so viable and so important. You know, if I can jump in for a second, yes. one of the things that Deborah actually brought to our attention at Super Sibs was mm-hmm. during flu season and the H1N1 um, issues that the hospitals were facing, when the hospitals made policy changes, they really ranged from um, siblings not able to go into their brother or sister's room at the hospital to many hospitals at that time not allowing siblings in the hospital anywhere on the hospital grounds. So wow. when you were asking Deborah about what, what's the perspective she's is at the hospital, you know, we had these sort of emergency triage calls and research about how were families being impacted, and frankly, it was devastating. Yeah. The parents had to make additional um, decisions about where to be, and patients were actually feeling devastated because their brothers or sisters couldn't be there with them, and, of course, siblings feeling even um, sort of jettisoned even further into the background, not knowing what was happening firsthand. So it was really important for us to prepare families when there are restrictions on visitation to make sure we're helping families connect, whether it's through Skype, whether it's through FaceTime on phones, or just making sure that the hospitals know this is really having a profound impact in a different way on families. We heard from one family, the mother said, thank God we've befriended the valet parking attendants at our hospital because that's where my other children stay when I'm up there visiting. Oh now, no God. one wants to be yeah, no one wants to be faced with that kind of situation. But it again, there are at times even more extreme circumstances that we need to take into account as well. Right. I, right. I think that experience that Melanie is is speaking of yeah. it also sort of highlighted for staff, doctors and nurses and, and many, many people what the loss of the siblings presence meant for all of us. You know, that there was a vitality missing and that the patients were not doing as well. That a visit from a sibling was very important to them and lifted their spirits and helped them not feel so isolated. So it really went on both sides. You know, we had a number of siblings say afterwards that they felt that they were losing their brother or sister somehow by not being able to see them. And it actually, interestingly, you know, it was a very upsetting and frightening time for people, but something good came out of that, which is that nobody wanted to go back to the way things had been years ago where you had to be, what, 16 to even go into the hospital to visit your sibling. You know, that the impact was so strongly felt, and it was such a hardship on so many levels that it kind of revitalized people about how important this is. Well, and, you know, Deborah, I mean, I think, you know, so you're, you know, you're at Dana-Farber, which is obviously one of the top cancer centers in the country, and you're coordinator of the siblings program, but I don't think most hospitals and cancer centers have a siblings program, let alone a coordinator, you know, of the sibling, of the siblings program. Um, but so tell us a little bit more about that, 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 that program there, and, and do you have colleagues around the country who are also coordinating siblings programs at other hospitals and cancer centers? I, I do think that we're in a very receptive and fortunate situation here. Yeah. Um, you know, it started out with being one, pro, one morning once a year when I first came here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what happened is, is that we just sort of, I decided to do this during the April school vacation, which we're doing right now. So every day there's a program for parents to come in with the siblings, and I won't go into the details of it. But we provided something that was helpful to families because it's school vacation week. So what are you going to do with the siblings? We'll bring them in. 
Mm-hmm. And so that sort of raised this awareness level, and it just kind of grew. And I, I guess what I really want to say to people is you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, whether child life or social work or hole-in-the-wall camp, you know, there are people around that can help get things moving. And once it starts and people meet the siblings and their presence is felt, it, it, it's so the, goal, the gains are so immeasurable that it kind of just spreads. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a program for school-age kids. We have a mm-hmm. program for teenagers, which is groups. And that's just the other thing I quickly want to say. Yeah. The sense of isolation is profound. Fortunately, yeah. not a lot of children have cancer. So yeah. a sibling who has a brother or sister with cancer feels tremendously alone. So if there's any opportunity to get a group of these kids together and have mm-hmm. them look around the room and see they're not the only ones, it's one of the biggest things that you can do. Yeah, I would, you know, I would say interestingly when we started some of our children's programs at the cancer support community and, you know, we merged, as you know, wellness community and, 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 and Gilda's Club merged and right. Gilda's Club had been, doing, had been doing, frankly, a lot more children's programs and they, you know, really shared with us that the majority of children in their programs, even though it wasn't the original design, were children who had a sibling or a parent with cancer. Hmm. That it wasn't the children with cancer, that they found that the children with cancer were actually very well cared for in the mm-hmm. children's hospitals mm-hmm. and in the cancer well, centers. Yeah. That it was really the, chi- you know, the children who had someone in the family with cancer who were really the, the uh, you know, quote-unquote underserved population. Absolutely. You know, in and the that's, that's one of the things that's, that's important is that we're not saying um, that it's bad to provide support to the patient. Obviously, you know, I'm the mom of a two-time cancer survivor, and, and all of us want to make sure that that focus and direction goes to the child with cancer. The important thing is so many hospitals and organizations say, oh, we're all about total family healing, but unfortunately it's lip service. And that means that they provide support to the patient, and then usually next in line is the mom, um, yeah. potentially then the dad or the, the uh, father, and then, of course, um, somewhere down the line maybe siblings, if at all. And I think what's... Deborah said is really important. It's it, we've got to start somewhere, mm-hmm. and it's one of the things we're doing at Super Sibs is trying to change the culture of oncology care, so that sibling support is at every little touchstone. Yeah. From welcoming siblings by their first name when they come on the floor, not calling them you know Sally's brother or sister, right. and by having a sibling bulletin board, having a teen area where siblings can be and can meet and connect one with one another. So some things you know it may not be able to have sibling retreats just yet, Um, but then again, you may be able to do some things right there at the hospital or in the cancer support organization that will already start to to recognize that siblings are an ongoing part of the the care process. For example, and we're actually implementing um, at 25 hospitals, Super Sibs, with the support of Livestrong, I'm actually co-branded on-site sibling support, and hopefully we'll be able to do that now um, after this first year of 25 additional hospitals to be able to really um, spread this even further. So yeah, come, come on into some of our some of our cancer support communities, Melanie. Yeah, we'd love to, love to. Fantastic. And I, I think that, you know, staff is... In February, we have a program called Bring Your Sibling to Clinic Week. So the patients send invitations out to their brothers and sisters, come on in. And this is not something where the siblings are do anything separate from the patients. Mm-hmm. Everybody's together. But, you know, the, the clinic assistants, the nurses, they're happy to have the siblings around. 
come on in and see, you know, what it's like when your brother gets his port accessed. Mm-hmm. Come on and, you know, we'll do your height also. We'll take your weight if you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, and so these small things begin to incorporate the siblings into the life that their brother or sister is having. And it's, it's right. really key. And it sounds like, Michelle, just before we go to the break, it sounds like that's why you, you know, it, you seem to cope really well because you, it sounds like you really were integrated and made a part of things and that you had a strong support system through the family. Absolutely. Yeah, and so it's, you know, we're going to realize, you know, that, that um, you, you know, there's not necessarily a, a prescription, you know, one size fits all. Right. Um, you know, for, That's what's for, important for, is, that, is that we have to ask. We have to look yes. at each family and, and not necessarily say, oh, well, this child's not acting out or I'm not observing any problems and therefore they're fine. Right. But rather to have each child and each teenager and each parent have the conversation on an ongoing basis and be able to communicate what are the biggest challenges they're facing right now because it is so different for each family and it's, yeah. it's very different as their journey continues. And I think sometimes kids um, don't necessarily have the words or the language to express True. what they're feeling. It's a whole new, you know, world. It's a whole new reality. Yes. And so sometimes you need to give them the, you know, environment or the place or the cues um, where they can even begin to find the words or the language to express that. And to do that, I think, in a place that's safe, in a place that's healing, in a place that's comforting, and in a place where they don't feel like they're going to be judged or that they're saying something, you know, bad or something wrong, yes. um, and, and that's going to, you know, kind of reflect badly on them. We are, we're going to take a quick break here. It's just a great conversation. Um, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We will be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're speaking with Melanie Goldish, Deborah Burke, and Michelle Odie about the experience of siblings of children diagnosed with cancer and how we can support them throughout 
their journey of what is sometimes referred to as sibling survivorship. Uh, in our final segment here, and I'm kind of sad that we're getting towards the end of our show because this is such an amazing conversation, um, we'll be discussing what the experience for a sibling can be like in a school classroom, um, as well as what resources are available uh, for siblings. Deborah, I'm going to start with you as, uh, as, as a senior social worker, and, and then and Melanie as someone who's um, uh, you know been through this with your family firsthand. What is the journey like for school age? brothers and sisters, and, and let's talk to Deborah a little bit more about school and, 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 and how social relationships are affected. I know we talked a little bit about mm-hmm. um, sometimes, you know, kids don't want to play with the sibling because they have these myths and misconceptions mm-hmm. and fears. Maybe I can catch the cancer. Right. Well, what are some of the other issues that kids are dealing with in the school environment, and are we seeing schools respond to this issue? Uh- we are seeing schools respond to the issue, and, you know, as is so often the case, this is, you know, there, there's two sides to this. You know, school is the one constant that a sibling has. So if they can get to school and be in school, little has changed in terms of that, while so much else has changed in their lives. Mm-hmm. So for many siblings, you know, school is really an anchor and a place where they feel comfortable. As is so often the case, you know, many schools will have be asking the sibling all the time, how is your brother or sister doing? How are they doing? How are they doing? And we've right. had siblings repeatedly say, could you ask them not to tell me, you know, <laughs> what's happening for this day? Your mom ha- is going here. Or not to say always, how's your brother or sister doing? Right. How are things going? That they right. just sometimes want a little peace and quiet. Um, Hey, Deborah, can I jump in for a second? One of our super sibs um, said to us that when she walked into, it was actually a camp program, but she talked about this at school as well, that she put a piece of tape on her forehead that said, my name is Catherine, not Howes Hollis. Mm. Right, right. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think the other thing is that siblings are affected academically. You know, they have a hard time concentrating. Um, Homework is not always done. Um, We had a sibling say, you know, I went to school and went on the wrong bus. Things got mixed up. Mm. You know, that's just a painful kind of concept, I think, that, you know, you're not quite sure what's happening. Um, You know, kids will say, I worry, but I have to worry about my education, too. Um, And so I, I think letting the school know this is a child who's having a major life event at home. They need support. They need guidance. But they need it in a way that they're comfortable with, only in a way that they're comfortable. And, you know, we see kids, they're distracted. They might be very tired. You know, they, they, they yeah. might be a little disheveled because, you know, the dad doesn't know how to put the hair in a ponytail. Right. And so, you know, more calls to school guidance counselors mm-hmm. and administrators is very, very important. Very. You know, I, you know, I have to give a shout-out to our Gilders Club in South Jersey because they're now on-site running programs at 10 high schools That's in fabulous. South Jersey. And I have to also applaud those schools because, you know what, they've given our Gilders Club school time to run, this, to run this program, and they have tremendous attendance. Um, you know, we think that it would be much harder to do after school because kids have a lot of conflicts and other activities, right. and the schools have given us, you know, school hours to come and run these support programs. And the majority of the kids are siblings. You know, these are kids who have, uh, you know, a, a, someone with cancer uh, in the family, and the need is great, and this has become a, a place and a venue for them to really, you know, express themselves. Um, 
So, I, you know, I, um, I, what, what other uh, programs, um, Michelle, have you um, seen programs in the schools um, for, you know, for these siblings? Or do you think we're seeing a, a change in how this is being kind of addressed through the school system and society? Um, when I was in school, there, there really wasn't anything no. um, <laughs> for me. Um, it was really just reliant upon, I mean, the, the guidance counselor didn't even really want, like, didn't even outreach, like, reach out to me at all, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, it was really just left upon my family's shoulders to carry me through it. So. Right. Do you and think, you Melanie, think- are you seeing more training of school professionals on these kinds of issues? Well, I, I have to say I'm seeing it. Um, we're really trying to push it. I have to say it's okay. like pushing a rope okay. uphill, but yeah. the schools are being supportive. And um, I know that SuperSibs and Deborah and, and some of our colleagues together, Kim from Cancer Support Community, we're trying very hard to speak at national conferences. And also on our website at SuperSibs, there's a section called For You, for educators that actually has a form that the parents, the sibling, and the teacher or counselor can sit down and talk about together to kind of create a support plan for that brother or sister in school so that they maybe won't have to quit their extracurricular activity because there's either no money or no transportation to get that that, um, brother or sister there to the program or so that there is accommodation for the calculus test because the sibling had to be at the hospital the night before versus studying for the test. There's a lot that we can do through education at these uh, professional conferences as well as empowering and enabling the parents to use these tools with teachers so that there's a plan together with the sibling's input. You know, think of, Mm -hmm. listen to Michelle. She could have, and the Michelles of the world can really sort of express, I just want to know that you're there for me if I need you. That's the most important thing. Yeah, we're actually going into the schools, not every sibling, but when it's indicated. Uh, A few of us are going into the schools and meeting with, these are really school-age kids. Teenagers really aren't as interested in this. We're going in and giving sort of a very basic understanding about what cancer is. We actually go in with different colored jelly beans to show good cells, bad cells, and we really talk about what it takes to be a good friend. What does it mean to be a good friend and how you can support this person? Uh, you know, unfortunately, when kids get scared, they sometimes, you know, act, bully other kids or disbelieve that this is really happening. So at times, it, it really takes somebody actually being in the classroom and going in and helping. Interesting, interesting. Um, Melanie, as we, as we wrap up, can you just give our listeners a quick overview of Super Sibs and how folks can find you and what you're doing for these siblings of children with cancer? Yes. Um, so Super Sibs was founded, um, I found it out of my basement. I mentioned earlier that this um, impacted our family firsthand, and when I learned it was affecting hundreds of thousands of other vulnerable brothers and sisters, um, we launched and haven't looked back since. So now um, we provide ongoing comfort and care to brothers and sisters of children with cancer between the ages of 4 through 18, all across the United States and Canada. 
and all of our services are free of charge. So anyone can refer a family to SuperSib so that we can be providing this ongoing comfort and care through the mail. These are personalized, age-appropriate comfort mailings mm-hmm. that are tools to help siblings express themselves, connect with one another, um, feel recognized, supported, and significant in the world just for being special themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, newsletters to help them read and and um, hear messages and voices of other siblings just like themselves so that they don't feel alone. And then we also have a scholarship program. I'm mm-hmm. so proud to say that incredible Michelle Odie, who's on this call, is mm-hmm. one of our inaugural SuperSIP scholarship recipients. Fantastic. To really help when you think about it, families at the at when the brothers or sisters are going to college, there's often not that um, funds available at the at the bottom of the barrel after yep. they've been fighting cancer. So we provide yep. scholarship programs as well, Great. and a lot of outreach and education to hospitals. Great. Fantastic. And folks can find you at supersibs.org. Yes, correct. Great. And I Excellent. would just like to support that this is a fantastic organization. And if organizations and hospitals do nothing else, yes. just referring a sibling to Supersibs is doing an enormous, enormous amount. We Everybody agree. that comes in, we register immediately for Supersibs. We agree. And Cancer Support Community is a great partner to Supersibs. Wonderful. We're, we're grateful. <laughs> grateful for all that you guys do there, and I'm grateful for the three of you for being on the show today. It's been a fantastic show and a, and a really vibrant conversation. Um, again, if you guys are looking for uh, support for these siblings, go to supersibs.org. If you're looking for uh, support from our organization, Cancer Support Community, we've got 50 centers around the country, free services for all people touched by cancer. Visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, really appreciate the great show today. Uh, look forward to hearing from you guys again on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>